3: Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss.
4: Have you ever felt like you've tried everything to heal from the pain of sexual abuse, and yet nothing seems to really be helping? Well, one of the reasons why most people struggle to break free from the pain of past child abuse is because the techniques out there are positioned as a one-size-fits-all answer. What I want you to know is that there are actually three distinct phases on the path to recovery, and I'd love to share with you about these phases, what issues you must resolve to move to the next phase, and what kinds of support you'll need in order to move forward as quickly and completely as possible. The road to recovery is much easier when you know what stage you're in and what to do next. So don't hesitate, go to www.rachelgrantcoaching.com/checklist and get your 9-page guide today. Now, on to our show. I'm Rachel Grant, and for those of you who don't yet know me, I've been a sexual abuse recovery coach since 2007, and I'm the author of Beyond Surviving, The Final Stage of Recovery from Sexual Abuse. You can learn more about me and the Beyond Surviving program at rachelgrantcoaching.com. Today, our guest is Natalie Forsyth, and she is going to be talking with us about how trauma impacts our relationship to food. And my goodness, this is a good time of year to have this kind of conversation. I mean, any time of year is a great time, but particularly around the holidays, all of our food stuff can totally come up. All of our food stuff can totally come up. And, you know, Natalie is someone who I've been in relationship with for for quite a while and have been, you know, tracking her work. She's the creator and lead teacher of the Path to Food Freedom educational community. And, you know, one of the things I really appreciate about Natalie is that she's really fully dedicated to helping women and, and others, you know, embrace their personal power while learning proven tools to really heal from binge eating and emotional eating. And so we're going to get into her clients around that and explore what's really going on when it comes to our relationship to food, particularly as it relates to the experiences of trauma, how that all adds up. One of the things to also know about Natalie is that it really comes All of this really comes from her own journey to finding freedom in her food relationship. And you all know that I love to highlight people who are not just, you know, speaking about topics that they're interested in, but are really speaking from the place of their own experience. And, you know, from her own journey, she's really just become so dedicated to lifting that deep-seated shame that we have about disordered eating eating, and really helping women step into bigger and bolder lives, which, you know, I'm a fan of that too. And beyond that, she's just really highly trained, really beautifully educated, intuitive, and um, and compassionate. And so you can learn so much more about her at her website, which I will link to and we'll share also at the end of the show. But enough of that, let's get to the good stuff. Hey Natalie, it's good to see you. Hey there, how are you today? I am doing great, thank you so much. I can't believe that 2019 is almost a wrap. We're here at the very end of it, <laughs> and moving to the final days. And, and I really appreciate you taking some time out of your schedule to, to be here with me today and, and to talk with our community about disordered eating. Um, so where would you like to start today? You wanna to tell us a little bit of your own journey and a little bit of your story to get started? Absolutely. Oh, I oh,
0: I can remember being 3 years old and spooning brown sugar while my parents were fighting and being 8 years old and taking that first sleeve of Ritz crackers into my bedroom and sneak eating them there. Mm-hmm. Um, I have used food as emotional coping tool since those very early years of life for me.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and while my, my journey wasn't one of, um, sexual trauma, there definitely was some emotional trauma that did exist in those early years. And, um, by the time I was a teenager, I was dealing with full blown bulimia, which I really tried to get help with for a the last five years of the 10 years that I struggled and sought support from, uh, you know, therapists and nutritionists and uh, all kinds of different people. And at this point in my expert understanding, I can see how much bad information there is out there Uh, in relationship to food and and body and how much actual content or indicated treatment is being given by people who think they're doing the right thing and so once i finally uh, found the freedom that i was seeking i knew very clearly that you know there's these behavior modification tools that are just very supportive and helpful to change that food relationship and once i found them it was pretty easy to change and i knew that i just wanted to support other people Uh, by teaching them those tools and there's one thing that is absolutely for sure is that in my beautiful community of a
4: couple hundred women
0: plus uh you know a significant portion of our community are sexual abuse survivors
4: thank you for sharing that you know i too can think about you know early days where you know right following on from when um the sexual abuse started, um, you know, turning to food and uh, really finding comfort in eating. And, uh, you know, mine was M&M's, uh-huh. <laughs> peanut m ms you know, sneaking away with, oh, you know, with yeah. the back of it. Um, I remember, you know, times when going through, particularly when my father was dying, um, which was a different type of trauma, but still trauma, that I would skip school, And I would stay in bed all day and I'd get like that large pack of peanut M&Ms and I would just read and eat and read and eat. Um, and it took a long time before I really understood that the, you know, I often associated my patterns with eating around, you know, being from the country, you know, we just like to eat, <laughs> and, you know, and um, it being, you know, familial and, and all of these sorts of things. And it was a long while it being, you know, familial and, and all of these sorts of things. And it was a long while before I, I really began to understand the connection between trauma and the ways in which I was eating, and mm-hmm. I wonder if you could talk with um, our listeners a little bit about um, what we do now understand, about why does why does food become, and eating become disordered as a result of trauma? Yeah,
0: it's a, a really fascinating field of research where there has been uh, a lot of correlation correlation as well as causation shown between sexual abuse leading to disordered eating. And, you know, the trauma of sexual abuse often leads people to develop a preoccupation with food, with dieting, and uh, a drive to feel uncomfortably full and to really reward oneself a lot with food. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was a study in 2013 where a 50, 7,000 women um, that uh, people who had gone un, uh, experienced sexual abuse were twice as likely to end up struggling with weight and disordered eating than people who had not undergone abuse. So mm. there is a lot of connection between the two, and I want to just take a moment and define disordered eating. Yes, great, that was going to be my next question. (laughs) We're thinking alike, we're
4: thinking alike. We're on the same page, (laughs) You
0: know, there's eating disorders, and that's what's in the DSM, where there's anorexia, bulimia, EDNOS, you know, there's uh, about four or five designated eating disorders, binge eating the most recent to be declared in the Mm -hmm. DSM-5. And that's five-ish percent of the population dealing with eating disorders. Then there's disordered eating. (laughs) And that's a much bigger category where, category where it, you know, to get this exact number is difficult to do, but people often posit that around 50% of the population is struggling with some aspect of disordered eating. Mm. So a lot, Ah, this is something that is pervasive. And if you think about it, we all know that we all need to cope
4: right yes life is stressful life is intense
0: we all need to cope in this life and food is one of our primary relationships from the very beginning and it's so readily available Mm -hmm. and uh just everywhere luckily so gratefully for those of us who aren't experiencing food scarcity
4: right
0: uh it's um all around us and so what is disordered eating uh, yo yo dieting patterns are considered disordered. So, being on the plan and off the plan, mm-hmm. uh, going along with that, yo yo weight gaining and losing. I can't have that. That uh, fits into this disordered eating umbrella. Uh, a lot of guilt and shame connected mm-hmm. to eating patterns and body. Um, so, if there's a lot of mental energy and emotional energy, being taken up around food uh, with guilt and shame is uh, signs of the disordered eating patterns as well. Um, Feeling out of control, sneak eating, excessive restriction, um, fasting, cleansing, all these things done in the name of health um, that in our modern world are supposedly us helping ourselves and taking care of ourselves actually leads to disordered eating. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that's really important for people to understand who might not be yeah. educated on this, is yeah. that restrictive eating and dieting actually lead people to develop binge eating. Mm-hmm. Lead people to develop binge eating.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah
0: that makes a lot of
4: sense to me right yeah because when we're when we're basically holding um <clears throat> something that we have to do every single day <laughs> with you know a lot of angst a lot of restriction um or contraction um and rules and regulations and all of it adding up to whether we get to feel good or bad right about yeah. ourselves right yeah these associations, that patterning that starts to happen. And so it becomes like this only place where you can catch that kind of a fix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. Something you said there that actually really struck me that I want to dive into a little bit is the, the fasting and the cleansing. My goodness, yeah, yeah, these are like really big trends. Is there any case in which, you know, a cleanse is healthy or are you really of the mind that when we're, when we use those kinds of, um, I don't know what you call them methods or whatever, um, that that ultimately is detrits or whatever, um, that that ultimately is detrimental?
0: i'm not going to say black and white that it's never uh supportive to somebody um what i am going to say is that for someone who has a tendency towards disordered eating patterns and um, getting into the mental trap and on the hamster wheel of uh, the guilt and shame around food and body that they are problematic Mm-hmm. For someone who Got doesn't that. have any disordered eating patterns, which those people exist <laughs> to have really cleaning clear relationships with food, perhaps that could be something that might be supportive. I'm so there's a world in which that exists. In general, I believe our bodies are really powerful to mm-hmm. cleanse and heal themselves and that Uh, We don't need to do uh, extreme things to make them better.
4: Mm. Awesome. Thank you for saying a little more and and, and clarifying that for us. I think it's really important. You touched on it a little bit, but I'd love to come back to it, which is, you know, what we know about how trauma impacts the brain, and in particular, the reward center and our relationship and responses to reward, and and that this, in your research and in the work that you do, you've come to really understand how that plays such a big role in what's actually, what people are actually experiencing and going through. So could you break that down, For us a little bit more? Absolutely. Um, So
0: trauma that occurs during critical periods in the brain's development can really change neurobiology. And in those changes, um, one of the impacts that has been found is that it can make the whole system less responsive to rewards. And from that place, I'm less responsive to rewards. And from that place, we want the experience of even more reward.
4: Mm, okay. So it's like you need more reward to feel rewarded. Right. <laughs> Is that Compared the idea?
0: Someone who, <laughs> okay whose neurology developed without that trauma, mm. who experiences more reward with less substance we could okay. say, Got less that. stimulus. Hmm. And so from that place, like the bag of M&Ms that you're talking about, that you're just sitting there eating throughout the day, it's just hitting those reward centers, right? Yeah. Just yeah. pumping that dopamine. And, and like, we need that, we need that uplift. Um, and when the brain is, um, impacted in this way it can result in people seeking more reward in the order for mm. comfort
4: and is it possible to retrain the brain is it possible to heal this part of the brain such that our relationship um, to reward like becomes more balanced uh, more um, integrated absolutely
0: that's, that's been my experience and mm brain retraining is the name of my
4: game it's definitely (laughs) we have that in common
0: (laughs) (laughs) absolutely and so in that way you know really um rachel you know even more about this part potentially around the um, reward center actually i'm curious what is your experience with reward and the the work from your perspective Mm
4: yeah so um it's interesting because i've not done a ton of research into like which areas of the brain are responsible for our Uh reward i mean i know the dopamine right so anytime we're releasing that thing that chemical um is giving us a little boost of excitement and pleasure and when we're dealing with trauma we're basically doing everything we possibly can to get away from pain into right. pleasure. Right. And, um, and so the, the dopamine levels are often way, way low though, because of overactivation of other parts of the brain like the amygdala, yeah. which causes us to keep, you know, we're releasing cortisol way more, which is the stress you know, hormone, rather right. than the dopamine, which is the, our pleasure hormone. And so by reducing our stress hormones and getting the neuro, nervous system more in balance mm-hmm. and regulated, then yeah. our brain has better capacity and opportunity to um, be in balance chemically. And so we start to see that kind of evening out happening.
0: Beautiful, beautifully said. Absolutely. There's a lot of alignment there. And, and I have a lot of alignment there. And, and I think that through the, uh, we can teach ourselves to downregulate mm-hmm. and to settle our nervous system and to be more present and to be more embodied. And uh, my understanding is that that is uh, where a lot of the overlap of healing from trauma and healing uh, in the food relationships
4: connect hmm yeah thank you yeah you know I think in my own personal experience what I've noticed as I've you know really taken on the conversation with myself about health vitality, um, my relationship to food, why am I eating, what is it for, what is going on here? (laughs) Um, I've started to notice those shifts. I still love to nourish myself Mm -hmm. and treat myself, you know, Uh and now they have peanut butter M&Ms, which, oh my gosh, talk about, you know, So um, more quickly when I'm nourishing myself and treating myself with these sorts of um, things um, and in balance when I have that imbalance with other things that are also really high nutrition. And I'm really working. This is language that I have to continue to work out in my own mm-hmm. way, which is not say the good foods and the bad foods. You got right. it. So definitely please talk with us about that because it is such a thing that we all do. Oh, this food is good. This food is bad. Talk with us about why that's detrimental, why that harms us in the long run if we hold food in that kind of construct. Absolutely. You just got to the very heart of what it is that I teach. So I'm so very glad that you're (laughs) asking this question right
0: now. Yay! (laughs) Really, the, the people that I support most are folks that really relate to this feeling of there being a pendulum and in the relationship with food they pull it up to one side over in the restrictions or a pendulum mm-hmm. and in the relationship with food they pull it up to one side over in the restriction direction, mm-hmm. the food, they the restriction direction mm-hmm. where they're um, I can't have this I shouldn't have that that's not healthy it's not on plan so either they're on the diet or they're on their food rules whatever it is there's lots of should there's lots of judgment about what's good and bad and they're pulling that pendulum up to one side until eventually willpower snaps something stressful happens that spikes that cortisol some such uh, permutation they're in and that pendulum swings erratically over to that feeling of being out of control, of Mm -hmm. binging, of emotional eating, of going into mindless eating. And um, it's that pendulum swing between the extremes that I really support people to find freedom from and to find stillness beyond. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And where the connection is, the pendulum itself is the judgment. Without the judgment, of good and bad, the pendulum just stops swinging between the extremes. Yeah. And so absolutely one of the most critical things that I support people to do is to monitor their thoughts around food, to notice all judging words around food, to Mm. call them out, say, oh, look, there I go judging food again. And that includes, oh, that's bad, that's junk, that's so unhealthy. It also includes, oh, it's so healthy. Oh, it's <laughs> clean. Um, you know, mm-hmm. all of these words that are supposedly good, but you're just judging on the positive the other side, side of the equation, coin. It's all yep. the same thing. So we need to call out all the food judgments and come into a place of a new relationship with food where food is just food.
4: Mm-hmm. Food, food is
0: just food. You know, different food has different food. You know, different food has different uh, nutritional makeups and densities but ultimately it's all energy that can propel our bodies forward Mm. and that when we have the judgment about the food we can't help but be on some kind of pendulum swing in our behaviors and in our emotions around food Mm -hmm
4: so tell us like what does that in practice become, begin to sound like is it is it a blank is it just the narrative goes away completely is it that when you're eating you're thinking well this is the, the type of energy that I'm eating or this is how I'm nourishing my body like I'm so curious about what your kind of inner dialogue is mm-hmm. could you let us in a little bit there <laughs> and like what does that really yeah. sound like for you yeah. in the day-to-day so that you know when we take something out it's always great to put like what do we put in its place yeah absolutely yeah so what fills that vacuum and it sounds like you found some really you've been found
0: some really you've been finding some beautiful words for yourself around nourishment and yeah um you know I I think that one thing that I will recommend about what we put in instead is good teaching along the pendulum swing too is there's often this desire to Take out something bad, put in something good, mm. you know. But that's actually still just part of the pendulum swing. Yeah, <laughs> still right. trying to be on it. So just moving into neutrality, I think, is mm. very powerful. And um, so, food is just food. I just yeah. really that's your
4: that's your phrasing that really works for you. Food that, is food.
0: Food is food. That really worked for me. And at mm. this point, there aren't that many thoughts.
4: Mm-hmm. There used
0: to be a million thoughts oh, girlfriend you know, like, <laughs> I, I ask yes. all my new students yes. all the time the question of what percentage of your mental energy do you find wrapped up in time? i hear you know 75 95 110 percent, you know like people who spend so 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 much and that was me 95 is mm-hmm. what i always
4: say yeah was where i used to be
0: and okay. at this point through the process of training my brain over time and this is now a solid decade that i've been in um, a stable recovery mm-hmm. that those thoughts aren't even really there and i think mm-hmm. that the way out was through just naming them noticing them and then coming back to no this is just
4: This is so fascinating. I've never really made this connection until having this conversation with you. But, um, you know, in the world of healing from sexual abuse, we have internal dialogue. We have all of those messages and the gremlin voices going on and on and on all the time. You're worthless. You're not good enough. Nobody's ever going to love you. And and that dialogue from, you know, 10 until, you know, my mid 20s. And it was exactly like that. It was a daily onslaught, you know, and and so the voices and the thoughts were always, always, always there. And then as I went through, you know, the process of healing that ultimately worked for me, uh, those voices are quiet, like I don't hear all of that Mm -hmm. anymore. Yep. Yep. And I've just now like kind of put those two and two together, like, oh, it's the same thing with your dialogue about food, it can be the same process. And and it's interesting because it, when I turned 40, mm-hmm. I, I kind of, I, you know, I did a little evaluation as we do at 40, you know, like where am I and how's my life and what am I doing? And, and I really felt so very solid in all of the areas of healing around the sexual trauma except my relationship to food. Mm-hmm. And I felt like it was kind of the final frontier mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. And I made up my mind like, okay, this is the year. And well, now it's been three years, right? I made up my mind, like, okay, this is the year. And well, now it's been three years, right? <laughs> That's okay. You know, that I'm going to, but it's been a process of like looking into things and research and redoing your program. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so I am noticing that, right? I used to wake up every morning and the very first thought I would have is how did I like, how did I do yesterday? Was I good or was I bad? So that I could then determine what I was going to get to eat for the day, right, right. Yeah. like that was the first that was how I started my damn day, right. you know, right. thinking about that, yeah. Yeah. and uh I haven't really been tracking it closely, but now that I'm talking about, it, I'm like yeah oh, that's gone, I'm not doing that anymore.
0: Yeah. Woo, me.
4: <laughs> yeah, So it is, it's like, it's a similar process of, you know, dealing with those negative thought patterns and the ways in which we shame. Cause ultimately what I'm hearing, and I think, I think I'm hearing anyway is that a lot of this dialogue, internal dialogue that leads a lot of this dialogue, internal dialogue that leads to the disordered eating comes back to shame. Yeah. It comes back to that place of, you know, fear and disconnect and, um, would you like to say a little more about that, like what you've seen in your work about how shame um, plays a role in um, people as they're navigating this process of changing their relationship to food? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I mean, I think shame and judgment are um, holding hands, skipping into hell.
4: Past you know? <laughs> <laughs> friends high-fiving hey did you make her feel (laughs) terrible today yeah I did did you yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah
0: and you know as uh, I I just see the way that they're so very um linked that Mm -hmm. we judge ourselves we say we are bad we are bad we internalize that in this deeply shameful way and it just the two work together so incredibly well <laughs> yeah. yeah. to keep people really stuck and um, feeling a lot of suffering, and um, and that a lot of uh, I think there's a lot of beautiful work that can be done to similarly identify um, thought patterns around uh, around shame to call them out in a similar way and mm-hmm. to start. Um, replacing them with more neutral thoughts as well
4: yeah we don't
0: move from self-love self-hate to self-love overnight Uh, um, we got to stop through uh, acceptance first right Um, yeah and so how can we accept Mm -hmm. those feelings and neutralize them
4: yeah thank you natalie there's no doubt that men have similar, you know, pressures as well based on the things they see in the media. But I would go ahead and argue that women, you know, get that way more um, proportionally wise. And yeah, could you speak to that a little bit? What role that plays, and and how that becomes a part of this process?
0: Absolutely. Well, you know, uh, I think that the societal pressures to look a certain way that have been put upon us through uh, you know, the capitalized structure of needing to look a certain way in order to be acceptable, in order Mm -hmm. to be worthy, um, has created a lot of disordered eating Mm. for society at large. And, you know, there is certainly, as we were talking about, earlier the um, subset of folks who really established these disordered eating patterns as a form of coping from trauma, trauma I'm talking about there's also this set of folks who haven't really experienced much trauma to speak of at all in their lives and really develop the same disordered eating struggles precisely because of the messages in the media about how they're supposed to look how they should be Um, And interestingly, the incidence of male eating disorder has skyrocketed in the last
4: decade. I was reading that recently, too. Yeah, fascinating. mm -hmm.
0: And what the um, researchers are positing right now is that it's precisely selfie culture that is the reason Mm. why men are now experiencing more eating disorders, Mm -hmm. um, because they're now feeling the same pressures that women have been feeling for a much longer period of time. Um, which is
4: unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, super unfortunate. Are there any strategies or approaches strategies or approaches that you found have been helpful in um, in helping your clients or yourself to negate that impact?
0: Boundaries,
4: so many boundaries. <laughs> okay, <laughs> bring it, say more. Yes.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, we just have to cut out so much of the crap. You know, mm-hmm. if if the voices are there on social media that are um, creating the negative input, like unfollow any and everyone mm-hmm. who is talking about dieting, before and after things, doing cleanses, Talking badly about their body, talking just negativity in general. Like we just have to have a lot of boundaries, yeah. Um, and and to feel really free to, we have these technological tools at our fingertips, and we actually can craft them to better support us
3: mm-hmm. uh, if
0: we choose to, or better support us mm-hmm. uh, if we choose to, or we can have them take advantage of us. And yeah. um, if there are all of if you're following things that are adding into diet culture and are adding into this um, negative dialogue around food and body image, then that's slowly eating away at you and going to support you towards more disordered eating. Whereas if you've gone through and you can hold your Instagram and Facebook to actually be things that bring you joy, like mine are filled with dahlias and succulents (laughs) <laughs> I follow all these <laughs> things all So I look at social media and it's just filled with plants.
4: Yes.
0: <laughs> and I've unfollowed everything else because I get to make it the way I want it to be and yeah. I want to do that which is fulfilling.
4: That's so smart. I love that. <laughs> Thanks for that little tip. I think it's really brilliant. I can't remember. I think it might have been um, uh, Your Body is Not an Apology or The Body is Not an Apology or The Body is Not an Apology. Oh, I'm forgetting. Book. It's an it's amazing uh, when... book. What is her name? Name. Sonia, I'm forgetting the author's name now, but for anybody listening, please go get that book, support her movement um, of radical love for the body. It's, It's really beautiful what she's creating. And um, I can't remember if it was her book or something else I read, but it was it, it similarly saying, you know, oftentimes we're only seeing certain types of representations of, you know, female bodies. Definitely. So um, fill your feed with different types of bodies, yes. right? Um, and uh, and I love that. And it's so true, like, as soon as you do that, you start to see women of different shapes and colors and personalities. For me, it's really started to help me think more broadly about just the character of women, as opposed to like, are they skinny? or Are they fat? Or are they this way or that? And um, curvy, right? And luscious, and has uh, contributed to, I think, also a part of the evolution of my relationship to my own body, and, Mm -hmm. um, and to women out in the world as well. And, uh, and I think, too, another thing that's really stuck with me recently is, um, in working with my clients I for long enough I've had women of all you know shapes and sizes I've had women who are you know models that they do this as their work talk about a industry that is difficult and harsh on women and I hear from those women who we would on site have every reason to think oh she must just feel amazing right Mm -hmm. she must just be full of confidence and No, like they come with those same insecurities. I don't like this, they're picking apart their bodies and this is bad and that's wrong and I don't feel beautiful. And you know, it's really brung home for me how strong this messaging is that we women get and how we've just got to really battle it. How messaging is that we women get and how we've just got to really battle it however, whatever way we can.
0: Absolutely, it is uh, universal. And there are a lot of brilliant voices speaking up, like Sonia Renee Taylor. That's it, yes. The body is not an apology. So many other incredible voices. um, And it's up to us to choose what we have in our environment Mm -hmm. and that includes what we consume and so i love you naming putting purposefully more different kinds of people and different types of bodies into your feed as well that's something that i did too as uh, absolutely and i think it's essential because the body types that we see craft what we think is acceptable
4: yes yes yes
0: and all Mm. bodies are worthy and so yes. let's,
4: let's see all the, bod- let's see all the bodies. <laughs> <laughs> let's see them all. We'll do a beautiful collage. Right. Yeah. You know, the, the other thing that's just coming to mind is, as we're talking today is in this world of what our influences are, it, it's taking me back to the time in, um, in my re- early relationship, um, and then marriage, and the amount of verbal abuse that was a part of that and so much of that was directed towards my body, right? Mm-hmm. You're fat, you're this, you're an embarrassment, all of these sorts of things that were painful. really painful and really difficult and, abs- and, and in that relationship I gained like 50 pounds, <laughs> you know, that no depends. wonder, right? <laughs> um, The more you call me fat, the fatter I'm going to be. So here we go, you know, Um, and um, and so I think the other area that is, I think, good for us to name here for our listeners is to who are you who is speaking into your life about your body as well and adamant about unfollowing them so to speak <laughs> 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 delete whatever you got to do yeah, um yeah cultivate um you know the, the community that you have around you so that it is you know bolstering you and supporting you and encouraging you and, and lifting you up mm-hmm. okay. Beautiful man, so we're we're almost out of time here, um, so I want to just give you some space for for anything else that you'd really just love to say to anyone mm-hmm. who's listening who's struggling with disordered eating and, and on that part part of their journey.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: I just want to acknowledge uh,
0: the good work that you're here doing, Rachel, mm-hmm. and to anyone out there who has encountered Sexual trauma, just want to really validate wherever you are in your journey. And that if you are struggling in your food, rel- if you are struggling in your food relationship, it, it, it's so, so natural and normal with where uh, what you needed to do to take care of yourself. And there are other ways to take care of yourself that are even more nurturing and nourishing. And supportive and to find those ways and to be able to um, connect in community with other people who are healing uh, I've found it to be just such a rich and beautiful part of my own learning journey and uh, I'm I'm grateful for it personally and I'm grateful for uh, being able to be here with you right now and share
4: about it Thank you. It's been a beautiful time together. I really appreciate you being here and sharing your wisdom and your joy as well. That's something I've always noticed and felt with you It's just <laughs> this real presence of joy. And it's great to be in a space with you around that and about your programs and the work that you offer. So they certainly can go to natalieforsythe.com. Anything else that you want them to know about the best ways to reach you and connect with you? Absolutely. It's
0: uh, what I've uh, said so far today has resonated then the next best step with me is to take my free intro class it's called how to find freedom from out of control eating and you'll learn the six essential steps that you need to find food freedom and all about the research and the science behind behavior change uh, as well as uh some interesting insights that has been the launch pad for many a person to change their relationship with food. Um, and the best place to find that is if you go to natalieforslife.com/ slash class. Um, okay. And you can find the next time that we are having a class. And uh, it will be my honor and pleasure to keep teaching you there at Natalie class.
4: Fantastic. Awesome. I'll put that link um, in our notes as well so folks can go over there and check that out. And I really just highly, highly endorse um, Natalie's work. I've I've um, accessed it personally and gone through some of her online programs, and it is so rich and so deep and helpful. And, and uh, so don't hesitate to pop over and check that out. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in and joining us today. Remember, you can also go over to rachelgrantcoaching.com and check out the resources that are available there and please be sure to subscribe to our podcast leave us a note what you're liking what you're loving and then come back next time because we have so much more to share and until hold up